0: What's going on guys, this is Travis and welcome to the podcast where we discuss caring for the fatherless, being a father, growing as a father, and God as a father. If you missed last week's episode, I was discussing with my brother, my friend Taiwan, uh, what it was like for him growing up without a dad in the home and how God pursued him and how God became his father and taught him to be a husband and a father to his children. So please check that out if you missed it. On today's episode, we have my friend Diane with us, and she primarily works with special needs children, and seeing the work that she does has been incredible. So today we're going to talk about the challenges of raising special needs children, as well as caring for special needs children. And like I said, I'm, I'm sitting here with Diane, and her primary ministry focus is with special needs children. And I met her through uh, Orphan Justice Center and uh, the work that she does in the Children's, children's Equipping Center at our church. And um, me personally, uh, growing up in school, I did not have a lot of education on special needs children. And so uh, when I came, came to church and started getting involved with youth, youth ministry and seeing the way God was moving in special needs children, I was blown away. Uh, hearing how powerful their prayers are when they're going before the Lord and praying for things that even adults don't even have a revelation on and seeing their their childlike faith to believe and trust God and uh, even having uh, her son coming on outreaches with me and ministering to kids who don't have dads and seeing his heart and how on fire he is to to see God minister to these children. Uh, it's impacted me in a great way and so I'm really excited about having here with me And if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Well, I'm Diane Mattione, and I work with Orphan Justice Center and the Children's Equipping Center. Um, My roles there kind of cross paths a lot. Um, I basically help um, train and find buddies for children so that they can be a part of our services at church and equip people to know that they can wrap around the one that's different than them. It looks hard because society separates them out from us, but really it's simple as loving the one in front of you. And so I do that. I have a class of special developmentally delayed adults that I meet with once a week. And I also help facilitate a prayer set where our children are allowed to worship freely, pray on the mic, and um, enter into praying for the fatherless while we uh, give them a freedom to just be who they are.
0: And thanks again, Diane, for being here with me today. And I'm really excited about just getting the the opportunity to hear your input and how you've been working with special needs children and any advice that you give today. Because even working within OJC, uh, going and visiting residential facilities, um, I work with a child who is autistic and he has PTSD. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story and how God has been speaking to you as, as you've been working with these children. You made a statement, and you said nobody is praying to have a child with special needs. So nobody's sitting around praying for their child to have a birth defect or anything wrong with them. We're all praying that our children come out perfect and healthy. But that doesn't always happen. What was it like for you when you found out that your child had special needs?
1: Well, we found that out pretty early on the day that my son was born, we learned that he had undescended testicles. And his testicles were way up by his kidneys, which is a pretty rare birth defect. And so we had to do four surgeries, bring those down. But that first week when we were going in and out of the doctor's office in the hospital, having multiple tests, um, we were told by the pediatrician, he looked at us and he said, you know, a child with this kind of birth defect is going to have multiple problems. He said, prepare yourself. But I looked at my child. And he looked like a perfect, normal little boy to me, except for this one thing. And that was really hard for me to wrap my brain around, to um, come to terms with that. It actually took me a long time. And it took going back to the doctors over and over again, getting different diagnoses, before I could fully accept where we were at um, on many levels. Even now, I look at him and go, you're a normal man. But there's a lot of things that weren't normal. And I think the thing that most of us need to understand is that, you know, most people go through a birth and they're celebrating and they're rejoicing. But when you have something like that happen, you're celebrating, you're rejoicing, but there's the but and there's the what ifs. And I've learned by watching other people and going through things myself that, um, it's a grieving process, actually. We aren't grieving the loss of the child, but we're grieving the loss of an ability. We're grieving the fact that they didn't make that last milestone. We're grieving the fact that they didn't get invited to the birthday party. Grieving the fact that your child has so much social anxiety that they can't ask a friend over. No matter how much they want to be with people, they're scared. I'm grieving the fact that they can't communicate with you and tell you that they love you or tell you what's wrong. And so nobody tells you that it's okay to grieve and that you are grieving. So you're just trying to muddle through and figure it out. At the same time, you're fighting for your child. You're fighting for that to reach that next milestone. You're fighting to afford that next doctor's visit or therapy or and to figure out how you're gonna get there. You're fighting to keep your job because you've got called by the school five times that week. There's all kinds of things that go on. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying there are exceptions and people need support. And so what I learned, I think what I learned most was that we need to be more compassionate with one another. I think... One of the most fraying things that I was told in the process was by a friend of mine. And at the time, my daughter was really angry at God. And that scared me to death because how can we be angry with God? He's God. He knows everything. And he's the most powerful. But she said, you know, God's big enough to handle her anger. And I thought, he's big enough to handle her anger. He's big enough to handle my anger. And then I started dealing with my own emotions and I started telling him how I felt. And I started praying at a different level and talking to him at a different level and listening to him at a different level. And that was really the most freeing thing that happened. So I think the most freeing thing that you can be as someone who's ministering to a family is to free them up to have those conversations with the Lord, with each other, and with us.
0: So initially, it prompted you to start sharing your heart with a deeper level, on a deeper level to the Lord. And, and share your your real emotions that you were feeling at the time. And that happened because of your daughter?
1: It happened because my daughter was going through a major healing process uh, on another issue, and um, she had had some abusive things happen to her, and she was angry. She had a right to be angry. Not at God, but she had a right to be angry. And um, But it was. It was very freeing to just know that it's okay to feel. I have a friend of mine that says, "You know, God gives you those emotions for a reason, and so we need to figure out what the reason is and not stuff the emotion but deal with the emotion."
0: Yeah, that's incredible. It's it's to me even with my children, how much I've learned just from experiencing them, the way they handle things. I've learned so much about God and who he is. How was your your husband? you know, reacting and handling this in the midst of raising this child?
1: My husband was pretty much emotionally just cut off at the time. Um, It's very common that, you know, different people handle different things differently. They um, go through stress differently. Um, Our relationship um, was already rocky before his birth, and so it became more intense, I believe, It's very common that relationships with special needs individual or an individual with a terminal or a long-term illness suffer more stress. Normal divorce rates in our country right now are about 50%. For a family who's in one of those situations, it's 80%. And so that relationship did end. Um, I was a single mom for a little bit, and then... I remarried, and um, our relationship's been fairly good. But there are times that, you know, we handle things differently, and we don't see things eye to eye. And there's times where just the extra things that are required do add stress to the relationship. But the heroes to me are the people like my husband who have jumped in and said with open eyes, oh, that one has special things that they need and i'm going to jump in there and help that he came into the relationship with open eyes Um, adoptive families that adopt special needs kids those are heroes they look at it with open eyes he made the comment you know i said one time that we don't pray for special needs children well we don't but they are a blessing and they have something to give to each of us and the people that can see it ahead of time are really blessed And when we look into the Word and look at what the Lord says about it, then we can really get our heart around it and understand that He has a plan and a purpose for them. And He's allowed whatever is going on in their lives for a reason. And maybe that's because He has something to teach us.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that um, with your son has been so impactful to me is seeing how committed he is to being there every week. I mean, there's people who who don't come every week, and he's he wants to be there every week to go and tell these kids that God loves them, to go and play kickball, to go and play basketball. And even if, like, you can see moments where he might be a little uncomfortable, but he'll sit there and do it anyway, because he wants to see these kids know that someone loves them, And it's it's incredible to me seeing him there. And looking at him, you would never know that he had any kind of special needs. And those kids that are there probably have no idea. And He is there week after week. And it's awesome. You said that uh, you started sharing more of your emotions with the Lord. How were you feeling about God um, at this time when you had remarried and you were beginning, you know, dealing with uh, raising your child and coming across different situations where you said you're you're hoping they meet that mile marker, and then they miss it, or maybe they do make that next one. How how were you feeling about the Lord, and um, you know, how He was with you in the midst of all that?
1: Well, I think because I had had encounters with the Lord prior to that, I even from as a small child, I knew He was my only answer. I didn't understand why he did things. I didn't understand why he allowed things. Um, but I also think if it hadn't been for my son, I wouldn't have the relationship with the Lord that I have because I'm a very capable person, but I didn't have answers for this situation. And it did drive me to my knees. And that was a good thing. You know, I would, we homeschooled for a few years. So every year I'd say, you know, Lord, what's our theme this year? And every year I'd say, put the Word in them. And I would be like, okay. So I'd try to figure out how to make every subject about the Word. Didn't work real well with math, but I could do it with just about every other one. You know, and I didn't think too much of it, but my son is a Bible encyclopedia, and I know I didn't put it in him to that degree i just know that when you do what he says he multiplies it and um i want to know where something is in the bible i just ask him and he normally can tell me book and verse and so so much for the doctors telling me he has an iq of 62 that's just not true
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i could say uh being with him I'll I'll say something, he'll correct me all the time. <laughs> like, no, actually, that's not exactly what it says. It says this. I'm like, thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's very black and white. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, there is no joking around. Like, you have to, if you're talking about the Bible, you have to be 100% serious.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, this is true. Can I tell you a little story? Please. So, one of those times when I was frustrated with the Lord, it was a day where socially things hadn't gone well for my son, and I knew he was feeling really lonely. And it was also one of those days where he um, called me out on a bunch of stuff because I changed my mind or whatever, so therefore I was lying because, you know, there's black and there's white. I'm laying in bed, and I am just letting the Lord have it, okay? Like, why would you allow this? Why would you do this? This is... This is horrible. I'm going on and on, and I'm naming off things about the social thing, the black and white thing. And he said, the Lord, the internal voice of the Lord said, what's wrong with being black and white? I'm black and white. And I, that was one of those moments for me where I could have crawled under the house because the fear of the Lord hit me so hard. He said, you know, I didn't cause autism, but I do allow it because my church is no longer black and white like me. They're gray. And so he has allowed some things to call us out, to improve us. And when we wrap around them, it sharpens us, because iron sharpens iron. Do I think every social nuance or every black and white statement that is said by my son is correct? No. But I think God has allowed this for a purpose. He's allowed Down syndrome for a purpose. And I think when we grab a hold of the purpose and reach out to these kids, reach out to these families, that's when we're going to see their healing and we're going to be healed in the process too.
0: So during this time, I mean, he's a Bible encyclopedia. He's very black and white, no no gray, no middle ground. Was God speaking to you anything about who he is as his son, who he is, and his calling, or any of that?
1: Yeah, because he would go up into his room. and This is how he dealt with his loneliness. He'd go up into, he had a keyboard, he'd go up into his room, and he'd open up his Bible, and he would sing and pray for hours. So we were like, you're an intercessor. And we just started speaking that over him. You're an intercessor. You're called to pray. And then when we learned about the house of prayer, we were like, Oh, and it's right in our backyard. And so um he is called to intercede. You know, and even you know, you were talking about his help in the group home, you know, his heart got set for that when his dad left and checked out. He understands what it is to be fatherless. So to go minister to those kids, he gets it, he understands it, and he he has turned it to good by reaching out to others who have the same pain.
0: And that's that's incredible. I love the story because it's a clear picture of God giving beauty for ashes. You know, you you could have given up, and you could have had your son and seen those mile markers being missed and be like, well, where's my hope? And you didn't. You You fought for your son. You went to the Lord, and— He's encountered you grown your heart and then he's given you a son who is zealous for the Lord has like memorized the Bible it's it's right and wrong he he has no gray ground and I just I just love the story and I love the way God's ministered to you and the way God is ministering through your son um, real quick if if you are a parent like I'm just thinking of a parent right now they they just found out. That their child has special needs, and they're trying to process it. They're they're trying to think of what do I do? How do I? You know, it's a grieving process. Do you have any advice that you could give someone right now?
1: Well, of course, seeking the Lord is first and foremost. But I would say don't isolate. Surround yourself with other people who have gone before you. Surround yourself with people with the experts. Learn what you can. Um, you know, God has healed some things in my son, but they weren't miraculous, like instantaneous. Most of them were slow over time. I mean, we're talking about my son memorizing the Bible, but he used to have auditory and visual processing disorder, which would say that's not possible. But what I did was I researched different therapies and I prayed. I was on my knees. Um, I think that's where I learned to pray was because I knew it was going to take more than just this therapy that I wasn't sure going to work. But there are some really good therapists out there and there's some really good um, help out there. Um, There's a lot more help out there than people realize. And find people who have the resource list. Talk to your mental health facilities in your state, and get a resource list to get a hold of. There's caseworkers there to help you, and they will open your eyes to resources that are available. Um, sometimes God heals miraculously, and sometimes God wants us to go through the process for something he's working in us, but many times it's because so we can be a witness to the therapist or, you know, there's lots of reasons, not God, I can't think of them all in the moment, but I know He does everything for a purpose. He's taught me that. He's taught me where I have failed, He fills in the gap. I think the other thing I would say to parents is you don't have to get it perfect because you have the God who fills in the gaps. And I, my daughter, um, we homeschooled, and she hated math, and I hated math. Math was not our thing, so I hired a s- tutor, a public school teacher. And he was tutoring her, and when uh, my son decided when he pre- um, was a freshman, he wanted to go to public school, and so I was came home from an enrolling him. And my daughter said, but well, she hadn't gone a couple years earlier because she was afraid, and I knew I had caused that fear because I was afraid too because she was so far behind in math. And something just rose up in me, and I said, you know, fear's not from the Lord, so you're going to school. And I went and enrolled her, I called up the tutor, and I said, what should we do? He said, find the lowest math class possible that you can find, and we'll hope it's okay. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) And so we put her in that math class, and within three days, she was complaining. She was bored out of her mind. She didn't want to be in that class. And... I was like, okay. I didn't know she was lying. She was like, well, there's a bunch of druggies in that class. I don't want to be in that class. And so I talked to the counselor. We moved her up into algebra. And, you know, math is sequential. You have to know A and B before you can do C. You have to know B and C before you can do D. And this was at a D level, and she didn't have B and C, and I knew it. But she didn't know how to research. She knew how to take notes. She went to class. She wrote everything down. He said. She went home. She had the answers in the back of the book, but she had to be able to show the work. So she sat there and prayed and worked it through. And she went back to class, and she was the only child in that class that had the answers and figured it out. And she would get up on the board and explain it, because this was a first-year math teacher who didn't know how to explain math. So God will fill the blanks. You just do your best and be on your knees. You don't have to do it perfect. You're not going to do it perfect. and But if you're doing it onto him, that's all you need to do.
0: Which I got to say, kudos to that math story because I was terrible at math. My mom will blame my uh, eighth grade teacher every time because uh, she actually spent couple months teaching us how to do uh, math equations wrong and then after about two months of teaching us wrong she went back I was like oh no I've been teaching this to you guys wrong but after that I just man I just fell off the math wagon what about in church because right? even at our church there was a time where we had families with special needs children and we were we were going through a process of struggling trying to figure out how to incorporate them and deal with them in the classrooms because. You have several different things that can take place. You have rooms where it's loud and there's a lot of kids, and they're not used to that. Maybe they're getting sensory overload, and so they want us to seclude off in the the corner, or they can start banging on a table or being disruptive. And uh, so I know as a church, we were we were having a hard time, you know, handling and dealing with it because we needed them to have a buddy that could be with them and focus primarily on them during the class to help them when they're having sensory overloads and various different things happening. Uh but we've clearly seen that God is is speaking to these children. He's given them the same spirit that we have. And he gives them revelation. He puts prayers in their hearts. What are some things a church could could do if they need help in this area if they 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 have special needs children but they just don't know what to do right
1: now? Okay. Well, there's a 20-year-old ministry that's Nationwide called Johnny and Friends, and Johnny and Friends has offices all over the country, and they'll actually come in and train your church on how to do a special needs ministry. Um, I'm we're lucky in the Kansas City area. We actually have a ministry alliance of, of all the churches that do special needs ministry. Um, Johnny and Friends is part of that, but there's a ministry over in Overland Park that started this alliance that. Um, started off with two families that now have over 200 families with special needs. And I, I guess what I'm saying here is the best way to handle that is to be talking to people already doing it, to share ideas, to get the training, to learn from others. I'm just a mom. I don't have a degree, but I've learned from others. Used to have a support group, and I learned from those moms, and we shared resources and shared ideas. But working together, we can do this. And it's really not as hard as we think it is, because the Holy Spirit is the best teacher we have. So, for asking Him and working with other people, we have it. But lots of times, it's just as easy as loving the one in front of you. What does love say to do? You know, how do we love this one? Be asking the Lord, How do I love this one today? And he'll, he'll give you some responses. I can't say you're going to get an audible voice or anything or you're going to know every time. But lots of times, the simple little tricks like wrapping a child in a blanket or giving them some earmuffs to block out some noise or just giving them some one-on-one attention is all that it takes to get that child to be able to stay and be in class. So the, I guess the biggest thing that the Lord told me, and this happened it's another crazy story. But this happened when I was at a conference. Um, and I was walking around this conference, and it was it was the One Thing Conference. and was walking around the conference, and it was in 2006. And at that time, my son was very involved in Special Olympics. And so I was walking around, and every once in a while, I'd see somebody and think, that's so-and-so from Special Olympics. And then I'd look again. And then I would realize, no, that person doesn't have a disability. And this kept happening. It happened 10, 12 times. And finally, I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? And the audible voice of the Lord said, In my presence, they are whole. And I think that means a lot of things. But I think that, you know, it's very clear from the Lord that he wants to bring them into the church. Eighty percent of families with special needs individuals do not come to church, and 80 percent of that 80 percent say they would if they felt accommodated or taken care of. It's when we wrap around them that they will come. I think it's the largest unreached people group in America is our special needs individuals. And so we really— have a calling. Luke 14 is very clear when it's talking about the banquet table. And he the Lord invites people to come to his banquet, but they're just too busy and they've got a wedding and they've got a field to field the plant and so forth. And he's he tells the servants, go out and find the lame and the blind and bring them in. And they go out and they bring them in. But there's still room. He says, no, no, you've missed them. They're out in the ditches. They're out on the roadside. Go out and get them and bring them in. And there's scriptures all throughout the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, where the Lord is talking about in the end times, He is going to come back and restore the lame and the blind. And I think it's our job as the church to be those hands and feet now, to start that process now. Isaiah 58 talks about when you know we, we reach out to the downcast, the outcast that he will heal them, but he will also heal us. And it's in that process that we all become whole. I also think when the Lord said that, I got this revelation that what we think of as not being whole is not necessarily what he thinks not whole is, because their spirits are whole. I think you mentioned that earlier. Um, Their bodies may not be whole. Some of them can enter into the presence of the Lord in a second. Some of them... Have the ability to remember things that I can't remember. I have someone in one of my classes she can remember everybody's birthday. You know they all have special abilities. so what are their abilities, and let's focus on those
0: so when you were talking, you brought up that eighty percent you said it was eighty percent of uh special needs families aren't going to church.
1: Some places will quote 90%, some places quote 85%. i am not exactly sure what the figure is, but it's really high. And um, primarily
0: that's because they don't feel accommodated. They feel like if they come to church with their child, they're not going to be able to be received and participate.
1: Correct. I mean, the man I was talking about out at the ministry in Overland Park that has 200 families, he has two or three families that participate in their church, that were asked to leave over five churches. Wow. So it's it's common, but most people don't have to be asked. They just, too many bad experiences, too many disgruntled people, um, not feeling welcomed, people saying things that aren't nice, <laughs> people not understanding. We really need to educate the church on and- um, this
0: yeah and i can say even even just growing up in school um i can remember every special needs kid actually that i went to school with and um i remember one um i'll just say his first name i don't think it'll hurt anything but his name was trevor and uh he was he was in a wheelchair Um, i can't remember exactly what his diagnosis was but i know he was about 16 when i was in fifth grade and uh, he, he w- developmentally, his body was very small. And he was so much fun. Like, I, I invited him to my swimming party. Um, and I can remember his parents being so happy about him coming to my birthday party. But I never thought about that when you said that earlier, that these kids don't get invited to birthday parties. They Socially, they have a hard time. I, I never really thought about that that much. But I want to ask you a question. What does God say the value of these children are to you?
1: I think their value is the same as any other child's value. I think that they're perfectly and wonderfully made in his sight, that he's created them for a plan and a purpose. Um, their plan and purpose may look very different than the atypical child who can run out and, you know, do all the sports and do math perfectly, but they have a plan and a purpose, and it's it's very on target, and it's very much for us. You said that sometimes people say hurtful things.
0: Um, I can even remember, like I said in high school, I remember kids doing some pretty cruel things sometimes to some of the special needs children, whether it was just out of ignorance or just being cruel to be cruel. But these children, um, they obviously they have the same value that every other kid has, and they've received the same spirit that we receive from God, and He has a great plan and a great purpose for them. He set good things before them. And the church should be accommodating them. So it's 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 disturbing that so many of these families feel like they don't have a place to go. If I if let's say I know somebody who has a special needs child and they're they're struggling right now to find a church to go to. They want to go to church but they've been rejected. How can I encourage or support them? In this moment,
1: probably the optimum way is to offer to go to church with their child so that that child is accommodated and so the family can go to church. Um, I realize that's not something that everyone can do. Um, You can pray for those people to rise up, but sometimes prayers need actions. And so, one of the things the church needs is just to be educated on the simplicity of wrapping around the one that has different abilities than us. What we've been trained by school systems and various organizations is that we don't have the knowledge, therefore we are unqualified to wrap around these individuals. But really it's not that hard, and it's not true. It's really just loving the one in front of us. You'd be amazed at how many of these individuals, when they have somebody sitting in front of them, as their friend, listening to them, being their friend, talking to them, how much higher their functioning level will raise. We have done things... Meaning to be good by putting them in special needs classrooms. And it's great that they're getting individualized education and therapies, but there needs to be time where they're in mingling with the other students so that we all learn how to work together. And so, you know, one of our goals at church, and we're still working on this goal, but we want to write a curriculum and to teach the cho- children how to include these individuals, how to be their friend, to remove the fear, and in place in them the heart of the Father, which is to love them. And so as, as we educate the church, um, we will see these numbers come down, and that's kind of why my original statistics were a little sketchy, because some people are saying 90%, I think that's, it's dropped to 85% don't attend church, because there are churches that are getting really good about wrapping around these individuals. It just takes some time to develop these programs and to learn to stretch past our fear and stretch past um, those things that we don't know. And I understand being afraid of it. When the Lord told me to do this, I was terrified. I mean, I know how to take care of my son, but it was totally different when we started. I started looking at taking care of other peoples. So just know that that's normal, but fear is never from the Lord.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, even for me, um, coming in and and mentoring a child who's autistic, has PTSD, and bipolar, you know, and being like, "Uh, "Am I am I the person that should be doing this?" And getting to interact with this child on a on a regular basis, seeing improvements, seeing him progress, and then times where he digresses, you know, and obviously he's in an environment where it can be really hard for him to thrive um, where he he can be traumatized, you know, one day to the next from other children around him or various situations of being in a residential facility without a family. So it's been incredible to me just seeing how much he listens and looks to me uh, for advice, for help. Um, his staff will call me if he's having a hard day or he's gotten in trouble or if he started stealing again and have me talk to him because they've seen improvement when he talks to me. And uh, so even though I didn't feel qualified, God's been using me in a powerful way to impact this child's life. And I think we're, we're missing out on some very special people if as a church, we're not accommodating and finding a way to incorporate them and bring them in to our family.
1: I think that we often forget about the scripture where the Lord talks about how he'll use us in our weakness and that's when his greatest power will show up. Because I know for me that the the main lie the enemy tells me is I'm not qualified. And so who qualifies me? The Lord qualifies me. It's not that I don't I don't have an education other than a self-education, but the Lord has qualified us. To do these kind of things,
0: yeah, and that's that's one of like Christianity is not boring. Like God will put you in a spot, and uh, it's it's excitement left and right. Um, I can even remember being at at church service, working in the children's equipping center, and you know a a parent brings a special needs child up, and I'm I'm the extra person, so I'm gonna be his buddy. Too. I've never worked with this child before. We get in a situation where it's loud, there's kids, and he starts wanting to, you know, kick the door and sit in the corner, and he just wants that's what he wants to do now. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out how do I get this kid out of this corner, how do I get him to re-engage? And I was like, hey man, what do you do you like to make mommy pretty pictures? And that's what pulled him out of the corner. He came out of the corner to come sit on the carpet back with the kids to draw his mommy a pretty picture. And it was, it was just a, a random thing that came to my mind, but it worked. And so while I'm not super educated yet, even on this topic of working with special needs kids, um, it's, a, it's an area I desire to become more educated on and to, to learn more training and more, um, more tactics to deal with kids in different situations um, when they're having outbursts or um, sensory overloads and, and helping them to get calmed down. But I think that this is a really important topic where we as the body of Christ, um, we need to grow. We need to get that education. Because even in the schooling system growing up, um, there was no education um, with with special needs children.
1: There's a public school that, I don't know where it is, but they um, started this program where the regular ed kids adopt one of the special needs kids and become mm. their friend and so they like play with them on recess and before school and stuff like that and they help them with reading and their assignments and things and this one little girl said that you know this her her buddy was the first real friend she ever had mm. and it's it's that kind of training i want to see happen in the church because if we if our kids can get that they can understand that my best friend doesn't have to look and act like me. That they can just be somebody that we click and we do things and we have fun together. And that really what fulfills me is to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's huge. When Johnny and friends came to Kansas city and trained, they, I got to go to that training because the office was opening here. And one of the, things I want people to go away with is that, you know, we think maybe this person isn't getting anything out of something. Um, And so she was talking about this experience she had where they were having this um, retreat and the people who were sent, she was sent six people in wheelchairs and they were all pretty despondent. Their heads were drooped. They were drooling. They were not in appearance connected to her or going to be connected to her in any way. So she was like, Lord, what am I going to do here? And so she didn't know what to do. So she just started singing, Jesus loves me. And one by one, they raised their heads. They looked at her. They smiled. Some of them bobbed their heads in response to the music and the beat and then she finished the song, and she walked around and prayed over them why it happened, and she sang it a couple times, and then she finished. And slowly, one by one, they both all went back into their previous despondent state. But the thing is, their spirits heard the message. Their spirits knew that Jesus loved them, and their spirits made the connection. So as a church, that's what we want to do. And it doesn't matter what it looks like as much as the connection is made. So I just want everyone to understand that just because a person's body is broken doesn't mean their spirit is broken. There's another little boy in Minnesota. His mom's written a book called Josiah's Fire. And he learned to communicate on an iPad. He can't communicate. He is a pacer, a tantrum, autism kid, Um, headbanger, the whole bit. But when he gets on that iPad, he types out messages to mom, and every night he goes up and visits heaven. Nobody taught him the words he types. Heaven taught him how to write. Heaven taught him how to do those things. His spirit's very much alive and connected to Jesus. And that's the part that we want to connect with. They have an open heaven over them that we don't, even know how to tap into, and God's using their disability to open up things to us if we'll take the time to listen, pay attention,
0: and uh, so education and fear could be some of the things that are kind of holding us back as a body of Christ. Um, and you know, if we thinking about church, you know, we we want it to go a certain way, we want it to be quiet and everybody to, you know, follow a specific order of things. You worship, you have your lesson, everybody's quiet and paying attention. And so we're kind of afraid of disruption, you know, because sometimes these children have those outbursts. And so in our mind, we can be like, well, if things are disruptive, God's not going to show up. Like just for example, I'm, I'm at a residential facility. I'm having a prayer meeting with these kids. That's what we did. We had a prayer meeting. At the end of the prayer meeting, the staff member is like, hey, I need some prayer like you guys are talking about over there because I've pulled muscles in the back of both of my legs and he's limping around. He's an older guy, about between 50 and 60. And um, we go over to pray for this guy. I tell the kids, hey, we're going to pray for him. They, they start crowding around him, pushing and fighting over who's going to be the first to pray. One, that was a miracle that they wanted To pray for one that they were they were pushing and fighting to pray first that was awesome but at the same time i'm sitting here looking at like how in the world are we gonna pray for this guy lord they're literally about to fight each other over praying for this guy i was like i don't even think this guy is gonna get healed (laughs) when they pray for him and so uh anyway finally get it organized we pray for this guy as soon as hands are laid on this guy and we start praying for him he immediately feels the presence of god gets immediately healed starts lifting his legs up saying i'm healed i'm healed gets emotionally touched by it and goes upstairs and starts telling people what just happened to him and where i'm looking at the situation thinking well this is completely chaotic god's not going to move in this moment god isn't looking at like oh these kids are chaotic i can't show up now god was in the midst of that whole situation he knew the children he knew their behaviors He knew their trauma, and he said, you know what? I'm a father who hears his children, and I hear them right now, and I'm going to answer. And it's the same thing with special needs kids. They can have an outburst, but that's not going to stop the presence of God from showing up. And one thing we can do is get more educated on this topic. Is there any resources um, that you can think of just off the top of your head That someone who is interested in becoming more educated on working with special needs children could look into.
1: Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, Johnny and Friends has been um, doing special needs ministry for 20 years. And one of the things they do is teach churches on how to do special needs ministry. They'll come to you and, and they will help you train your your church there's another ministry called key ministry that you can find online that have tons of resources on their website as well just g- google special needs ministry and she'll be amazed at what you find there is lots and lots of resources out there you'll be surprised if you mention this in your church, you'll probably have somebody that's already doing occupational therapy. You'll have somebody that's working in the school system that's very much aware of these kind of things. Those people are your resources. Develop a task force to um, address the problem, and you'll be amazed at the resources that will come out of your own body.
0: You've had the privilege of ministering to and working with special needs children for some time now. How have you seen God um, encountering and fathering these children? And then also, in Scripture, what do you feel like God is saying in Scripture about these children?
1: Well, as far as God encountering the children, I have had experiences much like um, the lady I talked about from Johnny and Friends, where I've seen the Lord encounter a child. Um, one day I was had a child, and we actually weren't having a very good day, and we ended up in a room. and um, but I had taken the craft from the classroom that we were in, and that was all I had for the lesson was this craft, which was a crown. And on the crown it said something about entering into the um, his presence. And so I let him decorate the crown, and he put on stickers of his favorite thing, which happens to be minions, and we just decorated the crown the way he wanted to decorate it. And then I put it on his head, and I said, You're a prince of the king, and you're you serve him. And he just glowed. I knew he encountering the Lord. And we talked about him being a prince of the king. And he is. That's his identity. I've also seen another little boy that we have. If we take the books that talk about their identity in Christ and who they are and who he calls them to be, that child shines. And if you ask him what book they want to read, that's the book they want to read. They want and they desire to have that contact with the king who tells them they're good. I know kids who have dreams. I have a 45-year-old adult that I work with, and he'll stand in the prayer room for two hours straight with one hand raised in the sky with a smile on his face looking into the rafters. And one day I asked him, and says, What do you see up there? Because he looks like he's looking at something. He said, you know, angels, Jesus, he really sees into the heavenlies. He's seen Jesus visit his bed. So I know that they have encounters with the Lord, and that he visits them and fathers them. My favorite example in the Bible actually is David. And David took in Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. And he became lame when they fled, when Saul, the castle was Fort was taken over And in that day and age Lame people were an outcast They were Despised, they were spit on And he was living Somewhere hidden away So nobody would find him And David said, no, no, bring him to the King's table, let him eat here with me And he said Restore the land of his father To him And send workers out To work the land for him And in doing that, David restored his dignity. He restored his dignity first as a prince who could sit at the king's table. He restored his dignity as a man by restoring his livelihood by giving him back his land. And he restored him as a person with compassion by putting in place the people that could do the work that he couldn't do because he was lame. And I think that's what we're called as the church to do, is to be like David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was after his heart in worship and prayer, but he was also after his heart in the work that he did, in this example that he set with Jonathan's son.
0: And I believe that you are absolutely right. I believe God has called us to, to minister to these ones and to bring them into his house, and there will be a day of restoration. There's going to be a day when God comes and he restores everybody. Every person's body is going to be completely restored. And we have a calling to to minister to these kids and to bring them into our family, not to let lack of education or fear drive them out of the house God is calling them to. And I I love your testimony. I love that God has brought you on this journey, that He's grown your heart in such a powerful way through your own child, through bringing you into a ministry where you felt unequipped and giving you the stories that you have where you've seen kids have dreams. You've seen God encounter them and speak to their heart in the moment. And you've seen the presence of God come in. You've seen them pray for, for topics and be passionate about things that adults don't even have a revelation for yet. And it's such a wonderful ministry that I get to witness you doing. And I, I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit of your life and a little bit of your ministry with us.
1: Well, thank you, Travis, for inviting me, and I just bless everyone who's listening that you hear what the Lord has for you in this.
0: I hope you have enjoyed today's podcast episode. If you would like to learn more about my ministry with Orphan Justice Center, or if you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can email me at travismiles at ihopkc.org. That's travismiles at org. If you'd like to learn more about OJC as well, you can look us up on OrphanJusticeCenter.com. Also, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure to subscribe and I will catch you with the next podcast episode.